Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, but two DC hardcore legends from the band Scream, from the band Wool, Pete and Franz Stahl are here and Oh my gosh, am I excited for you to hear this. There's a brand new Scream record that is fantastic called DC Special, but we go into a lot of stuff. This is a good one. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, at gmail.com. That is run by and answered by my brother, Tristan Abraham. He is the show producer and guest booker extraordinaire for this podcast. And he will get the message to me. He also runs a Facebook page as well as a Instagram page for this podcast. Both of those can be found at Turned Out of Punk as well as a YouTube page and a TikTok page that can all be found at Turned Out of Punk. To find me, I'm on Twitter or, or I guess that's called X and Instagram at Left for Damien. And uh, that is that. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. Let everyone know. There's this podcast, and each and every week we have cool guests on it that talk about punk music. Uh, I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. We are off tour now. I'm home for a bit before we go on tour in the new year with the band Super Chunk. You can check out former, uh, for sorry, past episodes for uh, members of Super Chunk on this podcast, and I'm very excited about this tour. Oh, my gosh. More information can be found at fuckedup.cc. We got some new records over there, and... Uh, the like, and so check out the band. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, on today's show, from the band Scream, Pete and Franz Stahl, as I tell them on this episode you're about to hear, huge band for me, and my gosh, this has got a lot of a lot of excitement in this episode. I'm, I'm very stoked for you all to hear it in one second. Uh, as I said also off the top, there's a brand new Scream record called DC Special, available over on the uh, Venerable Discord Records. And um, it's got contributions from Ian McKay and Dave Grohl's on it as well. Also, it is sadly the last appearance on some of the tracks by Scream drummer, original Scream drummer, Kent Stacks, who uh, sadly passed away just prior to this interview taking place. So rest in peace, Kent, and uh, pick up this record. It's fantastic, as I said. And... uh, that's the thing about these discord bands. They are lifers and you can talk about hammered halls. You can talk about scream. You can talk about the new Fugazi spinoff projects that are coming out. The new soul side, a lot of classic stuff is still coming out of this little crew of people. And it's ultimately kind of a little crew of people as we will talk about on this episode. I could go on for days about this episode before you hear it, but I'm not, I'm going to show some restraint and hold myself back uh, that's it. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy Pete and Franz Stahl on Turned Out of Punk. Franz and Pete, thank you so much for coming on Turned Out of Punk. All right. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, this is a huge thrill for me because uh, we've got we've got some weird connections that I hopefully will come up over the course of this podcast. But outside of that, still screaming, one of the greatest albums ever ever written in a record that's really responsible all your records obviously and we're going to talk about as it changes but that record for me was like a real jumping on point for dc hardcore when i finally got to hear it oh, thank you it's yeah it's, uh, it's like 40 40 years old <laughs> <laughs> 
they was like came out uh january uh 1983 we recorded it in 82 uh i think there's 21 songs on it took three days we recorded and mixed it in and out um it was it's you know don't remember much from the session because it was that that quick and a, a blur and like a really exciting experience for us at the time um we were so much younger uh but that's what's so you know fun about this new record we have dc special because we ended up recording back at the same place that we started out at and in fact we did our first demo at that studio before we even hooked up with discord well, I was going to ask, is that demo is done before the Jerry Williams demo? Because the Jerry Williams demo is done right around the same time as the Still Screaming sessions, right? Yeah, the, the demo I'm speaking about is four songs. We did this with this guy, Jefferson Rogers, who was in this band called The Distractors. And, um, you know, I was going to, you know, I was a bit older than my brother and and Skeeter Enoch Thompson, he, he goes by Enoch these days. So that's what I'll, I'll be saying, Enoch, in the interview. And Kent, uh, I was going to clubs and seeing new wave bands. And and also, some you know, I was going into the town, I saw Bad Brains. And we were kind of uh, just learning about the, the new wave and punk scene. And I was sharing that with my brothers by, I would just call them up from the club and hold the, the receiver in the air so they could hear these these bands I was checking out like these great uh, DC bands like Raz and the Deceits and Slicky Boys those are like the kind of the three main ones and then there's like a huge rockabilly scene that also is part of the punk scene in a way um, yeah so that that's that's kind of we I met Jefferson through that experience and then he brought us to Inner Ear introduced us to Don and recorded our first demo which is probably like, you know, it could be as early as 1980 um, or 81. Well, probably more likely 81. And we did Ultraviolence on that, Still Screaming, and a couple other, uh, Solidarity. So it had to have been after, you know, that uh, political movement had begun. So, yeah, it, that, I don't know, it was definitely before the Jerry Williams. Well, I want to get to all this stuff, but I guess this leads in perfectly. So I imagine being the older sibling, you got into punk first. How did you get into punk, Pete? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, our, our father managed rock bands in the mid-60s. So we got exposed to a lot of early garage uh, punk in a way, even though it was on AM radio. But, you know, I consider some of the early like Seeds or the Electric Prunes music machine all that stuff kind of punky you know and and absolutely uh, and um the way they looked you know they were different and so we you know i remember my dad hooked up with this dj in washington dc called cousin duffy who was a dj i think on wpgc because am radio was what was ruling then this is before fm radio which was another educator for us later on but when we were like you know i was Ten, nine, Franz, like six or seven. We were listening to these records and um, getting our first singles and stuff. I was getting my first singles, and um, you know, so that was my first introduction to punk. And then actually through radio later on, the first time I heard Iggy Pop was on the Mystic Guy radio show. So that's awesome. So, like, would there have been kind of proto punk stuff happening in sort of the DC area around that time in Virginia? Well, yeah, man. Uh, I mean. 
I wasn't going, I, I, it, it was all new to me. I kind of learned a lot about it through radio, really, through the, some of these local radio shows in D.C. There were bands I didn't even get to see, like a band called White Boy. I never saw the Penetrators play. Some really cool bands that were very important that you can find some of them on. There's a compilation that Limp Records put out, 30 Seconds Over D.C. I highly recommend it because one of the best punk songs out of DC, ever came out of D.C. was The Break by The Penetrators. Just go, go, you can find it online now. But yeah, that's a fucking killer song. Yeah, I love that early Limp Records D.C. scene. I think one of the issues with the way punk history gets taken up is obviously the scene that you guys are a part of is just so monumental that it tends to eclipse everything that kind of came before it. But there's all that fantastic kind of new wavy, artier punk stuff. And then like White Boy, whatever the hell that was. Yeah, it's uh, it, <laughs> it, I think that. Well, you know, I'm I'm sure you've interviewed Ian, and he's like a the archivist of <laughs> of our neighborhood we come from. So he, you know, he can he's got the names, and he's he he knows where everything's where all the bodies are buried, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean that that new wave arty uh avant-garde like scene that was that was in in the in downtown in the arts district this couple block radius you know it was certainly permeating out both sides of the river and you know we were starting to become uh aware of it and and getting into that shit and that's why we wanted to kind of fuck shit up in our neighborhood and start a band Franz, what did you make of your brother getting into this stuff? Because a lot of times when, uh, you know, siblings come on this show, the younger sibling talks about it being kind of like freaky, especially because punk had such a, a bad media reputation around that. Well, I mean, if it's your brother, I mean, you always look up to your brother. And I was younger, so I couldn't get in, into any of these clubs to see these bands. And so my introduction to it all was what we did listen to on radios, Pete explained, and what you know, whatever records we got. And, and, um, and also what, I mean, initially I wasn't, at that time I wasn't really playing music. I, and that, you know, they, Franz and Enoch and Kent asked me to sing for for the band that they were putting together. But those guys were actually playing music. I was just fucking going to clubs and, you know, yeah. hanging out. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't until we started going to Madame's Organ, which obviously was a club, not a club, um, that I could gallery. go in an art gallery that I could see bands play. Um, and I didn't really know what to make of it, you know, except for seeing the Bad Brains and that change in everybody's world. Um, and you knew right then what you wanted to do. But I remember, like, one of the first punk rock records I bought, oddly enough, was The Jam. And it wasn't a punk rock band at all. I just saw the cover, and to me, I thought that was punk rock. So I bought it. And of course, I loved it, and I still love the jam to this day. But yeah, my introduction before I could go to clubs was the radio and whatever my brother brought home um, and played on the stereo. It's I find of it interesting. He caught me. Sorry, go on. I was, of course, if he caught me playing the stereo, and think my. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the jam or a band that come up on the show, like Billy Bragg, uh, Colin from Cox bar brought him up too as being the, the punk band that they were like, okay, I get this now because they were, cause they were kind of not a punk band at the same time that they were a punk band. They dressed differently and they, they had a different approach to songwriting, but there was, 
I think it, it made punk a lot bigger tent when they showed up. I mean, all that British, all that British yeah. music had a huge influence, you know, on us. And yeah, man, I mean, that's what punk is, is, you know, not conforming to the norm and just being different, whatever, you know, in your own neighborhood. Like I said, we, all the bands that were playing in our neighborhood were playing Leonard Skinner, you know. And so we just kind of wanted to stir things up a little bit and be different, you know, feeding off the energy and the shit that we were seeing around us and, and the bands that we were getting turned on to. So, I, I mean, all, that that UK punk scene was so diverse, you know. I mean, the Stranglers to the to the Jam to the Sex Pistols to, to Sham 69. I mean, those are just the big ones, but they're, you know, there was all so many different kinds of, bands off doing their own thing and also it was like i mean when we went down go ahead i'm sorry no go ahead i just said also when it was like one of the reasons why we got so into the punk scene was that we would go see these bands and like when you think of bands like leonard skinner and these other bands it just seems like an achievement you'll never make or it's, it's just so far away from you, you know, in, in terms of playing and whatnot, even if you like the music, you know, and seeing the punk bands was like, wow, those guys, they look just like us. They're just our age, you know, the same age. That's just like, that's we, like, 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 yeah. It, like seeing, it really seeing, gave like, us comp. It gave us confidence to like, Hey, well, you know, we can write our own shit and do our, you know, and actually get shows, you know, or hopefully do shows. You know, where stadium bands and everything else that was going on, it just seemed like so out of reach. That's a good, very a- good point as far as as far as our development as musicians, because that's one reason. I mean, I had been playing guitar when I was fourteen or fifteen, but because I and Franz got into music so young, you know, going to shows at ten years old. By the time I was fifteen, I was listening to fucking Larry Coryell and Ma Vishnu and and all this jazz fusion and i went through a whole southern rock period i mean i love leonard skinner too uh, especially the early records but i never thought i could play that stuff and it wasn't until i started seeing some of these new wave bands at the clubs in town or seeing the teen idols at madam's organ and that that look like you know like they're our age or you know and i can do that <laughs> you know so um i think that's a common i think that's a not a i think that's a a uh, kind of a common theme for people starting out. They 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 see something, experience something that they they've had in them, but they never thought they could do it. And then they see something that I can do that too. You know, I think that's the best thing about this genre is that's where it's kind of like folk music, where the message and what you have to say is more important than your ability to say it, and and you can let that ability come once you start saying it and develop it. And it just gave so many. And to this day, gives so many kids permission to to fail and make bad art in the attempt to try and find themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a good way. Of Absolutely. I find it also interesting, Madam's Organ, uh, you know, being, like you said, an art gallery more than it is a venue. But it's like a yippie. It was like a yippie thing, right? It was. And, and that's I don't know how unique that is to. uh the that scene new wave and punk coming out of the counterculture era of you know that what happened in the in the in the fifties with you know beat poetry and into the sixties and the and and the reaction to the wars and 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 the civil rights movement. So those those counterculture movements certainly gave a a home 
And maybe they, maybe, you know, like in, there might've even been like, wow, look at this energy happening. Let's like re, re you know, <laughs> re-energize our movement to get these kids in there. But, you know, also I think because of the nature of Washington DC being the, the home to, it's the capital of the United States and it's such a, a government, you know, that is, is, that's our, that's our, that's our industry you know yeah <laughs> growing up then not so much now i mean it's still now of course but back then dc was a much smaller area there was no huge tech industry that's in virginia and and things like that and it was just everyone worked for the government or related kind of things so you were kind of permeated um by politics because it was a conversation our parents were into politics and involved with the democratic party and um you know so uh, I mean, I think it, if you look at like the Detroit uh, early scene with the MC5 and 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 you know those bands, they kind of there was it, it was kind of also coming out of that '60s counterculture that was universities and you know across America. Yeah, I I find it you know fascinating with just to go back to the Yippie thing, like you know Ken Lester who managed DOA was uh, a yippie and you know you have david peel in new york who was a yippie so like you're saying there is this sort of like holdover from the 60s of people that are are giving space in some cases like you're saying maybe trying to repopulate their ranks but at the same time well, like, they you know like in in dc especially because um you know that the demonstrate the uh we had the rock against reagan shows that were on the mall and these were all uh kind of annual events that had kind of that the yippies and normal and those 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 organizations kind of they knew how to get those permits and and create these these um opportunities to to have uh you know alternative voices and kind of push for for new ideas and and, and also to like shout back at what was going on you know in the halls of, of congress and shit like that you know <laughs> i can you know it's funny because I'm reading this book right now called Fire and Rain. It's about Nixon and Kissinger during the war, the Vietnam War, and mentioning Madam's Organ and what it was, the Yippies, before. I could totally see it now reading this book about how these student activists would come in and organize all these anti-war protests and all this stuff. And I'm sure it went through Madam's Organ at some point when it was the Yippies and whoever was a part of it prior to that. I could just read into that from that book. It, you know, um, uh, it's Tristan, right? No, that's my brother. I'm Damien. Damien. Why, 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 why did I... Well, my brother's the show booker, but I'm the uh, okay. I'm a lead singer in a band, so I have lead singer brain. Uh, not to no offense, um, but so no, I, no, I it's okay. I, I got I got the same molecules floating around. You no, know, you know in my in my bald head. Um, yeah. you know we met once on a we met somewhere like you know I do a lot of tour management. We met like on an airport shuttle one time. We did. And I wanted to punish yeah. the shit out of you. I was like, <laughs> it takes a lot of restraint. That's why I started this podcast. Cause it's the only way to socially acceptably ask these sorts of questions of someone. Yeah. Uh, okay. Damien, sorry. Uh, please don't call me Franz. No, do not worry. I, uh, you know, I think all the siblings can, I call my kids the raw. I was singing happy birthday to my uh, youngest child and called him my middle child's name at his birthday party the other day <laughs> in the oh, ultimate God. moment of embarrassment and humiliation <laughs> as a father. Um, uh, I was going to add, 
you know, we were one of the first bands to go over to Europe and play from the hardcore scene. And there was that. And one reason why it was really easy for us, because, um, you know, it was, none of the promoters were going to be booking hardcore bands um, in the UK or in Europe. But there was still this network of uh, squats and and and, uh, you know, community kind of um, buildings that were in some cases had support from the from the social democratic kind of left-leaning governments and but they were also kind of left over from that counterculture movement that came out of the 60s and so that and you know these were places that that provided a space for people to create whether it be music theater or art and you know uh kind of self-funded uh diy places and 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 in lots of cases, you know, different types of politics, communists, and 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 so forth. But they 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 were there was a network that we could that I we could plug into and play um, in Germany and play in Holland and play in Italy and and, and play in Spain. So um, you know, I, we were all kind of. I think it's just a continuation of 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 those kind of movements is kind of giving uh, a space for a new movement to come through, be themselves. Absolutely. It makes complete sense, too, because, like, Ken Lester being the guy who taught DOA or, like, you know, DOA with that famous book that they gave to Black Flag, which then becomes the framework for this entire community to this day. Right. I forgot about that. But you're right. It really is transposed on top of this sort of, like, radical network and this idea of sharing numbers and, and communicating with people outside of sort of the traditional structures of, of that you're supposed to do things. And you're right. It's a hundred percent kind of mm-hmm. built on top of that in a way. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's also interesting DC, like being a DC being such a political town, how it is really the first American political punk scene where like, it's about being yeah, a punk. Absolutely. Yeah. Like there's ethics to it that are, are, are specific to punk. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and I, at least with with our band, um, um, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit older than I'm a couple of years older than Franz and and Enoch, and I'd already been traveled outside the area a little bit because that's certainly what informed our world politics was when we started going to to Europe too. But yeah, when you grow up in D.C., you're immersed in in that, and it's part of your consciousness, and and then you if, you know if you want to like speak to what you see around you and what you feel inside, then that's, you know, then it's, that's a, that's, that's, that's a political act in a way. And so just, that's what, that's what, you know, we did through our, or we know what the lyrics that we wrote. So um, I'm glad that we maybe, you know, kind of help lead that way in our little tiny scene. You know, we were the first band to put an album out on Discord. So we're the ones that had the most songs at the time, you know, <laughs> so, and, and, and uh, um, you know, a lot of the younger, a lot of the bands are that we that we were kind of into and they're a part of that Discord scene. It's such a small scene. Um, it, they are they were like kind of creating and exploding, going away to school. And, you know, we stuck together. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I hope I answered your question. Or You did. And also, I think you brought up another point, which is like, you're the band that 
tries to keep that flame alive. You know, there's a lot of people that come on the show, be it people from Dinosaur Jr., be it people from all sorts of bands that were part of that first, sort of first wave of American hardcore that by around 84, they're like, well, the party's over. Like this, this is getting too violent. This is getting too hairy and, and move on to completely new genres in some cases. But you guys seem to be a band that tried to keep, try to stay punk and tried to find a way to stay punk in a world that was kind of changing around you, it seems. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we love we're, we're, we love being together and playing music together and, and getting into stuff and going on adventures, you know, I mean, a little, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's like, it's I never, we've never gone through anything where we lost our brother Kent like a couple weeks ago. I mean, he'd been sick for a long time, but by talking about him and by playing the songs that we create with him, we keep him alive within us. So, um, and I think we also kind of keep, alive our, our where we came from and and you know that's in some ways you know say like, you never grew up man well that's okay i'm, I'm you know uh <laughs> i'm really quite happy to to like still kind of feel the same way and 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 you know so uh i you know i don't know franz what do you think i mean we, we well i think i think we you know all all, all of us were like way into music not just punk so we wanted to be musicians and working band and 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 be a working band and make a living at it if we could and we never really fully accomplished that but we definitely made a bunch of records and made you know you know made our point and i i will say in a weird way uh and through through my brother's lyrics, lyrically, I mean, we were actually, uh, in a way, far more political than the DC bands because they were more. It was like what they used to call personal politics, where Pete was he started talking about things on more of a global scale. And I don't think DC was ever like that. It was, and you know, we were given license to that through hearing what the clash was saying and even you know to what the sex pistols are saying you know this is what the fucked up shit that's going on um and to this day pete lyrically still writes about stuff like that and i don't um i don't really recall a lot of the dc punk bands being so particular in their political stance it was always more of a, a personal thing personal politics in the scene um, and stuff like that. And I think it's inherent in my brother just because we grew up around a father who was, you know, part of the 60s and, you know, speaking out against this and that. I think it comes from that more than, the, you know, and the fact that we're in D.C. and we're constantly bombarded by it in the news. Um, and it's still to this day the way my brother expresses his, his himself and his, his world views. Yeah, but, but uh, like I, I also think all the bands that you know, whether personal politics or whatever you sing about, but the the bands that are being, you know, pushing the envelope and being different, making noise, and get you know, and within the, this community that we're a part of, it, it 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 also gives you know voice to everybody that comes to see you, and so and and it's your community, and 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 that's I think that's a political act too, by by um screaming like that and giving and gave given other people an opportunity to scream back not so much lyrically but i find it interesting daryl jennifer brought it up when he was on the show like the different sort of philosophical approaches between 
you know, Ian, I guess, broadly speaking, but minor threat and, and versus, uh, bad brains where it's like uh-huh. local versus global where the bad brains, Daryl talked about how they had to leave DC to try and get their message out there. And Ian obviously very much builds this thing and, and is, you know, minor threat and everyone in DC, you guys seem to be halfway between these two worlds where you're clearly part of this DC thing, this DC hardcore brand, but also at the same time, you are a band that's touring Europe that you're there. You're going across America. You're playing in New York so much at one, a certain point. Like you seem very much in line with the bad brains as much yeah, as that's that's happening. Absolutely. That, that's, uh, that's, that's what I was saying. We wanted to be working. We wanted to be a working band and, and get our music out there. And, and the bad brains gave us that opportunity. They really gave us our first real show in DC as far as with, within the punk scene at the Wilson center. And then they, we also traveled together in my van up to New York to play CBGB. So that, and they brought us up there. So they were hugely instrumental in getting us going. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I mean, other DC bands finally, you know, when they had the opportunity to start touring and obviously Fugazi did too, Minor Threat did as well. A teen Idols were one of the, they went all the way to California early on. But uh, yeah, I think Bad Rains and, and us, we really, we really were wanted to be a work, working bands, which might've been a little bit more of a different focus for some of these other, for some of the other bands coming out of our scene for sure. You're bringing that Teen Idols tour, and I just rewatched American Hardcore. They did a screening of American Hardcore at a theater here, and mm-hmm. there's that part where Henry talks about that tour, and he's obviously rooting for the Teen Idols. And when they went to the West Coast, and they saw how the kids on the West Coast were doing it, and this sort of the rise of this hardcore invasion that happens in LA punk, which depending on which side you fall on, is the worst thing to ever happen or the greatest thing to ever happen. <laughs> but they they seem to come back. Uh, well, Henry says we brought that back when we came back to DC and we kind of like, we're like, here's how we're going to do things now. Do you remember that happening? You know, because knowing Teen Isles before that and then seeing, was there a shift that you guys perceived happening at that time? I don't know. I don't really, I didn't, wasn't, wasn't conscious of it. I, I, because the first time we went out to California and we played at the Olympic auditorium and it was like 4,000 kids. Like we're like, holy shit. Isn't that we had yeah, nothing that like sick. that where we're from? So I can understand it that you know those guys when they went out there they were probably just as blown away as we were whenever it was like a, a year or two later. But um, I mean I I can't maybe 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 you know there was more more of a pit after they came back. I don't know, <laughs> but. <laughs> Because I think it's in Dance of Days, even some of the limp bands talk about how, like, the scene changed and, and all these hardcore kids came in and kind of, you know, once again, this sort of echoing of what gets said in L.A., like, they ruined our scene. And it always seems like the oh, yeah, younger yeah. generation is going to ruin the older generation's it says, scene. It says, damn kids from the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> says the kids that were originally from the suburbs that moved there I mean, five years earlier. I mean, that's you know, a yeah. good thing. And I, I, I think it's a good thing. But, like, I want, like... You know, right now the hardcore scene across America is kind of exploding and re-energizing, and there's all these killer bands out there. Half of them I don't even I'm not even aware of. But then, and I, you know, you can see them at their, at, you know, uh, at the shows, and and you know, the pit sometimes seems even more extreme than it was when we were kids, and uh, and I'm like kind of like, wow, that's really violent, but. 
they all seem to be into it, you know. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, that's what that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and it well, and it does spread from DC, right? Like you know, Al from SSD coming on here talking about how much he looked up to DC and wanted to do a scene like he thought the DC scene was how it been kind of explained to him. Um, and then, you know, you see that it gets to Bo so it's in Boston, Philadelphia, obviously New York eventually goes wild with it. Like it really does seem like this energy that emits from DC at the early eighties. And just, as you're saying, like it's still all over the world today. Yeah. yeah well, 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 thank you for that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think, we, you know, um, you know, obviously our record's called DC Special, so we're all about our town. But, you know, I just want to put it out there that the, the first touring band on record would be John Philip Sousa's band, which they came out of DC. So they kind of paved the way. They actually went over to Europe, too. It, well, it's, that's the thing you brought up earlier with I think, DC. I think, I, I think they were, like, happening, like, sometime in the 1800s. <laughs> Well, that's the thing you brought up with DC earlier. Going back <laughs> to the 1800s, there is this, be it go-go, be it the bluegrass stuff, be it this rockabilly scene, be it this new wave scene, be it this punk scene, be it the hardcore, like all these no, you, you nailed it because that's, and that's one, like you, it's, it's hard to explain. I'm not, uh, you know, um, someone that's documented all that stuff, but there's, a, you know, one reason why the Bad Brains ended up in New York is because whether or not it's true, it like felt like we had to get out of town to, to make it, you know, but, and, and, you know, like I said, DC was a, a government town, always a, always a huge roots town, which goes back to like fucking olden days of, you know, how the, how the music scene started from the people that first settled Washington, DC and, and the surrounding area with, with kind of fiddle music and roots music. And, and, and you know, DC was one of the, I think it had the largest black population uh, prior to the civil war and of free blacks. And so, which means, and they were, so, you know, they were being creative and be part of the community and, and making music that was starting to permeate the area. And so, uh, DC has always been kind of rootsy, which is it's still to this day kind of like that. Um, so our punk scene and our new wave scene was kind of a reaction to like kind of do something different to that, you know. But um, I think I, DC music um, definitely has had a, a huge impact across the whole world. And, you know, with and, and uh, like you said, go, go which I think is officially like been, you know, there's like DC music, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting how it is like, kind of, like you said, a rootsy scene. Like it's like very much, especially with the punk, especially with the hardcore, it's like reality music. And I love, I think that's perfectly illustrated by the fact that I've always been told that the misfits didn't do well in DC. Like the misfits thing did great in Detroit, did obviously really great in New York, but in DC, it just, DC was about something well, I mean, different. You can go back to the Ray brothers, you know, um, Link Ray, and, and they had a studio. And I mean, you know, Rumble. I mean, come on. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one DC band that I only know from, I think, that Limp Records comp, but they get brought up a couple times on this show as being this sort of legendary band that never got out was the original Trenchmouth. And I know you guys played with them at least once. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your yeah, thoughts on Trenchmouth? Well, I just really, I don't I remember don't... playing with them, to be honest with you. And I think there was 
there were two trench mouth and um but yeah i don't remember that band i'm, I'm sorry I, I just know him from that compilation as well okay I, I think you played later on with them at a really weird show i was looking up a list of every single show you guys ever played as you can tell you you kind of are canonized so there's a list of every single show you guys ever played with flyers i've i've crazy. seen that where yeah where was that that you saw that it it's was online, I'll, right? I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'll put. The, I'm going to put the link in the uh, episode too because it is so awesome going through this list. Obviously, because you guys go everywhere, all over the world. But it well, not well, Europe and, and all over America and North America. You just get a good picture of how incredible the scene was and the bands you guys are playing with. You guys did like two shows with the Menstrual Cycles, played with Toxin Three in Louisiana, like all these bands that exist only in seven inch form to me. Right. I do well, remember seeing seeing that thank site. God, thank God thank God for those bands because in, in a lots of cases they were they were probably welcoming us into their their town and their little scene and probably putting on the show for us to play there, you know. So and that's the community that uh that I that I'm taught that I was talking about. And that's also the community spirit that we wanted to kind of you know, have in this new record and and, and well, and that's the community spirit we have in in punk, right? Like that's the the fact that it's like we're all weirdly connected, and uh, we all wind up knowing the same people and operating in the same circles. Like a really good friend of mine uh, from England, Robbie Brookside. I believe Pete, you stayed with him for a couple weeks. The first whoa, I haven't heard that name in a long time. A, a very good friend of the show and a a punk rock legend, currently head trainer for the WWE down in. Uh, uh, Orlando and that's, uh, that's you, have to, you have to give him my regards uh Robbie Brooks idea yeah, I saw him wrestle um in London at some little oh, like, he keep, I little, remember that guy uh, now remember him Didn't and granny you, yeah and he yeah, had a radio the show on uh LCR Liverpool City Radio yeah that's, Absolutely. Wow, that's a trip yeah, he told me he dragged you to like an AYS or an AOA show, like some crazy crust punk show when you were staying at his house too. Yeah, he had, he was part of uh, that. You know, he had his group of friends were they were all pretty diverse. Yeah, it's, well, it's fascinating because he's this guy that I, I did a documentary series about pro wrestling, so I was kind of like uh, you know a fan, but in that world a little bit. And his name comes up as sort of this you know, one of the greatest unsung wrestlers from the UK ever. And then Damn. getting to meet him and find out that he's like the downest, deepest punk rock head and that you stayed at his house. Even. <laughs> so weird. Uh, I, I, I definitely want to hook up with him again. You know, it's, it, 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 Florida still is one of those places that you don't go to on tour a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's interesting when you go to, when you see how the punk scenes develop in these places. And I guess Seattle is the one that everyone famously talks about when bands don't go to these places you don't have every band trying to sound like a dc hardcore band at a certain point which is what jay and and lou and on the dinosaur junior guys said happened for them like at a, at a certain point everybody just wanted to sound like a dc hardcore band like it became the uh the brand for a while yeah well i mean and, and then but you know like i was saying before like when we first were kind of starting out we wanted to just kind of like mess with their their place, you know, just fuck with their, their um, 
people that at the at the keg parties and shit we were playing at and just like you know be different than than everybody else and and then you know we kind of felt we needed to do that within our scene too so we were kind of always you know kind of you know doing a lot of different styles of music and sometimes that didn't go over that well maybe um that's one reason why we're not uh, you know as as well known as, as 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 other bands from our town or whatnot you know because we didn't have we never stuck to one formula we still don't and um you know we had we had uh harley joined the band in mid you know in the late 80s and and he he looked different than everybody else that was in front of us when we were on stage and you know i'm sure it like bugged some people we had some metal dude in our band but we loved harley's energy and how he looked and and we loved that it, it kind of rubbed people the wrong way or to when Grohl joined the band is completely different drummer than kent and put us off in different directions musically as well so which we that's what we you know we were musicians and that's what we wanted to do but we also were conscious that that it kind of pushed back on just being like a particular sound. Well, I think it's because people like simple things, you know, and if a band has one seven inch, it's very easy to understand like DC youth brigade, very easy to understand. But if you're in a band and I say this as someone who struggles with <laughs> trying to grow as you're trying to stay who you are, it's a long life. And the gap between one year to another is immense when you're writing music and being creative. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for people to see the whole picture I find. And, and screams a band that took me a long time to see the whole picture with too, to see how the last records relate to the first records and to see that kind of progression and to understand it. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. early, the early DC bands, they existed through, through singles you know i think i mean and scream existed through full-length lps mm. yeah, we didn't put a first single out till a long time yeah till fumble later on yeah well they're walking by myself single yeah i was gonna that. bring that up on the very important jungle hop jungle records hop. yeah great label put out records from bands from japan put out records from obviously american bands all over europe like uh I, I, you know, and another label you are, our choice, our choice live record. Your, that choice. You your choice. Your live choice. Story. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, well, um, that, that Jungle hop label. Uh, we met uh, this guy, Pierre Pell. He was working at Southern records in, in London, um, kind of like an intern there. And, and he started that imprint with some friends of his back in Paris where he's from. And um, that gave us an opportunity to, to play in France, which has always been a tough nut to crack if you're a musician, as you know yourself. Oh yeah, uh, still, still to this and, day. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but and but it, you know, they put out that record, and we ended up playing nine shows at, in 1986 just in France, playing in all these small little towns, and 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 um, with a lot of cool bands. It was cool. Oh, I wonder if you're playing because it's so fascinating. I just real found out the other day that like phoenix and air and daft punk were all punk bands in france like around the you know 80, late wow. 80s early 90s so i wonder if it's like crossing paths with some of those bands back then nine shows in france that's crazy we well could have i just remember a lot of like it seemed like we were playing with a lot of rockabilly bands in a way at least the way they were dressed i don't really remember a lot of the bands that we played with except how they looked yeah 
It's interesting because like the first punk records come out of France and there's obviously consistently interesting punk stuff that's coming out of there. But at the same time, you're right. It's, it's, it's fascinating how it's still like the hardest place in Europe to find traction. <laughs> Uh, I, the, uh, I, we, and we can cut this out if you guys can't talk about it, but, um, I know there was a point you guys were going to sign with a Def Jam subsidiary that Glennie Friedman was going to start. Well, um, we never got an offer, so I don't no. know anything. Well, I, oh. well, well, what I, my recollection is, no, we, is we, we did sign this thing with Glenn Friedman where he was help he was helping us shop a demo around. And but nothing ever came of it. And then after we broke up for, you know, when Dave joined Nirvana, we and and after Enoch went back to D.C., he's dealing with some issues there, which is basically what ended that kind of run of scream at the time. Then he came back and kind of like threatened us, which was which, you know, this never sit well with me. And um, and then and he, he sued Dave and got money out of him. So real punk rocker Glenn Friedman. I've never I've never really talked to him since then, though obviously we have a lot of mutual friends. And yeah, so I, I mean you asked me the question, I'm just telling you my my perception of it. I and you know, I know he probably feels like he did us a favor by not suing me and Franz, but we didn't have no fucking money. Yeah. So um that's just what happened. It's so, the truth. Yeah. It's, and it's, I, I don't know where this we were never given any offer for anything so and we never signed any offer or anything this was just like some sort of paper that where he was like shopping our demo around that's all it was and then we never got anything out of it and then nothing ever happened with it and then you know dave got fortunate and joined nirvana and become successful and he took advantage of it it's yeah. one of the, it's one of the sad things about punk and like Ian's never been on the show, but I've talked to him about it privately where he's just like, that's the thing. If you stick with your network, you're going to be okay. But the reality is if you want to expand and if you want to do things, you got to reach outside your network and take chances. And then sometimes you run into shitty people doing shitty things. Yeah. Well, it, 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 you know, it's called the music business for a reason. <laughs> yes. They don't call it music fun. <laughs> No, it's not music friends. There's not a lot of friendships after this whole thing's said and done. But, um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, so that was then. But, um, hey, you know, that's uh, Ian's right about that. But we were always kind of pushing to do that and get out and get our get our band out there. And, and um, you know, when and, – and Ian always, like, uh, you know, encouraged us to do that because Discord has a certain – ethos and a certain you know thing that they do and they do it better than anybody and uh and we done we done multiple records with them we're back with discord now thankfully you know that we're still able to be a part of that that label and and represent and um but you know we did a record with ross records which was also a, kind of a disappointing record for us but it's something we had to do as a band to kind of like you know, move on and move around and do shit, you know? Well, because you also, I think even by the second record, you're doing it with like Sixth International and Discord, right? It's like the two labels or is it just Sixth International just doing the UK pressing? Well, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, because 
Discord was we, we were like wanting to make more records. Discord could only do so much. And so they incurred we I think we had to reach out to kind of like uh um get you know get the ball rolling. And it's funny about that because it's kind of the same thing with this with DC special. Like when we I you know was bugging Ian about putting out some new record by us and he you know he would say well let's hear it let's hear what it sounds like and so he actually discord and um ian kind of came on board with dc special project after we started recording so is and so you know they have a uh and that's part of the process with discord that we've been dealing with since we get so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's one of those things that like the system's not broken why fix it uh vibe and i can imagine that you know as a band it's it's hard to deal with that it's hard to deal with like what what can we do now like it's such a choose your own adventure at every stage with your band where you're like do we keep doing what we're doing do we try something new like it it, it's a journey yeah right i mean the discord's model was to put out a single or an lp from one band and move on to the next band and then another band that was coming out of dc or where from wherever but we are constantly churning out music and we you know we wanted to put it out and it just didn't fall in with the way they did things so obviously we wanted to reach out and get this stuff put out in whatever way we could i think pre-91 uh, american underground music is is fascinating because obviously everything changes post nirvana exploding and 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 people talk about it all the time on here for better or for worse in some cases but what were your guys take on things changing kind of post 83 84 85 as you're touring around like are you seeing the rise of metal like or what do you what are you seeing as you're going to other places outside of sort of the you know northeast well what you said just like a, a rise of metal and a lot more kids being involved you know with the you know, through bands like Nirvana, it just becomes a, a global thing, and a little corporate. Things getting bigger, more bands. I wouldn't say as much, maybe not as much diversity, but you still had, uh, you know, in the punk scene, a lot of, a lot of diverse bands. But the metal was happening too, which was cool, and you know, pushing the envelope of of sound and 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 rhythm and speed with within music and and then as because the scenes are getting bigger business business uh comes into play and and uh so it started getting bigger you know and and um then the major labels started taking more notice of it i noticed on this flyer site not to keep digging into the deepest recesses of your brain that you played a show on one of the early west coast tours with uh, Caustic Cause, which is the pre-No Effects band, but also with Justice League, which is Chris Bratton from Wool, uh, first mm-hmm. band. Did you meet him right. at that show, or is that a connection that happens way later? That Franz you later. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, much later. I think we kind of met Chris through Zach from Rage, I think. Yeah. Because Zach was in a band with, with him called Inside Out. Absolutely. And yeah. we're... Would you guys have met Zach through Wool when you're living out there in LA, or are you guys playing with Inside Out with Scream? No, I don't. No, we met him through Wool. Okay, it's interesting. Wool's like such an awesome supergroup. 
of of people from <laughs> punk and hardcore too. Like like you got uh, Al uh, from the Cheaters and and was in the Fastbacks, and you've got you know Chris from Justice League. Concrete Blonde. He was also in Concrete Blonde. Whoa, yeah. I, that's awesome. That's the credit I didn't yeah. know about. Yeah. I, I was I was in Concrete Blonde, but then also don't forget about Pete Moffat. Yes, of course, Pete Moffat, legendary Pete Moffat too. And there's just like it, it Wool's a band that I love. I love all those Wool records that you guys did, but it feels like you were just ahead of that kind of like stoner rock thing that explodes a little bit later on in the nineties, man's ruin kind of era and and just right. post whatever came before and not geographically center for grunge. Cool. Well, uh, maybe, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely in the mix there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, like records with the Melvins or buzz put out a record obviously and bong load and, and yep, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, buzz put our first single out actually. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting how like the Melvins also wind up in Los Angeles. It seems like Los Angeles was like the place you had to go. If you're going to be a working band, uh, mm-hmm. prior to the nineties happening, like, uh, you know, all these hardcore bands and post hardcore bands, or, most of them wind up there. Or New, York. The, yeah, New York. or New York, the same, you know, I'm sure the bad brains felt the same way. They had to go to New York just uh, because DC was so small, not only inside, but just in the places you could play. And New York uh, is obviously bigger with more clubs and just more of a happening going on. It's probably yeah. Like, like you know, like going back to what we earlier in this conversation with Henry going out there with the Teen Idols, you know, and then he ends up back out there with Black Flag. But yeah, the shows in in L.A. were always huger, or that's not even good grammar. But I got what you're bigger, saying. I know bigger, there were bigger shows, bigger scene, bigger landscape. You know, um, and may, maybe maybe Buzz just got sick in the rain. That's why they moved out. <laughs> I, I think also it's interesting though because like new york you're right a lot of people wind up in- surprised the melvins just didn't end up moving down to tijuana because they basically came from seattle down to san francisco and then into la so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they hadn't stopped if they hadn't found a fertile ground in los angeles maybe they would have kept rolling maybe they'd be in brazil by now yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. Let's just, just say the Melvins are one of the greatest bands ever. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and I think you know your yourselves and the Melvins. You know, like, I, and I, you you have to talk about this bullshit all the time. So I apologize for this, but I think it is such a huge thing for punk music when when the Nirvana thing happens. And I'm walking through the mall with my kid. And every single store has like some weird Nirvana t-shirt in it. Every single, every third person's got a Nirvana shirt on, you know, like there's, there's a, a, such a seismic shift that happens with Nirvana, but it's Scream and the Melvins that are the, the foundations of this thing that eventually happens. Like the Melvins put them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, Nirvana's a great band, especially, and you know, Dave really, took them up a notch too. They were already cool band, but Dave, you know, his, his energy and his talents, you know, really made them really exceptional and, uh, and hugely influential and important band. It's, it's too bad that they, they flamed out like that because they, they, who knows, you know, what more we would have been able to hear from them, you know, but, um, you know, definitely it, it helped like, 
you know, what was our, we were, you know, it didn't take long for me and my brother to like get a new band together. It's what we do. And, and so, and uh, so we had wool, you know, going when, you know, Nirvana came down and, and recorded Nevermind, you know, and, um, and then they, 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 you know, they, when we played together at the Roxy and maybe at Jabberjaw, um, which was like this cool coffee shop in LA that kind of the early, um, that scene kind of came out of. Um, have but, you seen that book that Brian Ray Turcott did? Like the fantastic. No, I, oh, I have. you're in it. You there's there's wolf photos in it, and it's oh, cool. uh it's fantastic. Because nice. you're right, that's oh, an under under sung kind of scene that that kind of like bridge era. Yeah, because I mean, um, that's where I I met. You know, Courtney was was that was when she started a hole there. I met her through, I you know. Uh, through the L seven, the L seven, yeah, I'm, I'll met them there, and and I, and you know, still I still I I work with L seven now, kind of um, as you know on their tours and stuff, and we're, we're still we're still family. An amazing band, and a band that like, you know, was around in Los Angeles during those lean years when they were on the show. Like they've talked about how like that was a, it was pretty bleak in L A. after punk kind of gets washed away by hardcore and then hardcore just kind of implodes. Uh-huh. Were you a fan of bleach? Cause I, it's interesting when uh, Nate from the Foo Fighters was on and, and a bunch of people have been on and they were like, yeah, I wasn't that fan of bleach at the time. Like it seems like a record that people loved or, or weren't as into. And it, like, it feels like that was a, uh, like Brian Walsby, when he was on the show, talked about how he turned down being in Nirvana when Dale Crover asked him to be the drummer because he didn't like Bleach. <laughs> um, That's well, crazy. I, I, thought a, I thought it was a cool record. I, Dave was into it. I, I I don't wasn't really conscious. I mean, I was definitely conscious of Nirvana. They were uh, when we were. Um, where the fuck? I remember being on tour with them in in Europe. But honestly, I can't remember if it was Scream or World. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, it, you know, because I, to me, I mean, those are different bands, but we're still kind of moving on our journey as musicians. And so um, it's another outfit, you know, put on some fancier clothes. <laughs> it must have been, though, different touring in Europe with, with uh, Scream than Wool, right? Because I think... You know, from Wool, what you're saying, like you're playing squat venues. I guess some of those later tours must have been a little bit more comfortable than those. Well, that's that's definitely where we came from. And so what we were still and, you know, we like playing those kind of venues It's where we're it feels home for us. And so we, when we can, we do. And, you know, even as, as even like the last uh, the last was well, shit. We haven't actually. Well, we just went to Europe this past um, summer which was great in the summer before, but we played mostly festivals, but our last proper tour in Europe was in 2011, I think. And yeah. um, we, we played some of the squats that are still around. Um, like the, the Porta Presentino, which is in, in Rome and, and one in Bologna. So, but yeah, I guess when we were with wool, we were on a major label. So we were like playing more established venues and, and, you know, we, we we went over there with Rage Against the Machine on our first tour in England. So and Tool. Well, that's a wild first tour. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it was, it's crazy. It was. It was uh, I think Tool was headlining. If 
I can't fucking remember. It's Wool, Tool, and Rage on the same bill. Yeah, we did like a bunch of shows in England. It was great. We played with L7 over there as well. Yeah. And in Europe, in Germany and whatnot, even weirder is that we were opening up for Faith No More. Yeah, that's true. What would that have been around 92, 93? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I find it fascinating. 94. I find it fascinating in Europe how it, it is like this tradition that gets passed down. Like you meet, you, you like you still play squats that have been around since they were established in some places. And there's sort of this like, it is this sort of cultural thing that does wind up getting passed down more in Europe, I find, than here. But you do see it here now, like second generation, third generation punks. Like that band Linda Linda's, like both of their parents, sets of their parents were punks and stuff. So you do have this sort of it continues thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some of that going on in, in D.C. right now. And uh, Brendan Canty's daughter uh, fronting uh, has a new band called Birthday Girl that um, I haven't seen them yet. But, I, you know, you hear the buzz of the new bands at home from home. And that's one of them. Um, yeah, it's cool. But, you know, I think what, unfortunately in this country, our, our, our government doesn't support the arts or they don't really support youth. They don't, we, you know, can't even get, can't even get kids fed at school. (laughs) But yeah, so so a lot of these squats and some of these great little places that were created by punkers and artists got, you know, ultimately got turned into venues that were, you know, they were, um, and and are now like maybe uh, for profit places, but still some of the core kind of ideas about why that space is there still kind of drive their programs. And that's why, you know, I I love thinking about that sort of stuff and the idea that this can carry on and this can still exist because it, it makes it more than music. It was more than just why did the jam fit in with minor threat when they don't sound anything like, and, and why are, you know, why are we all somehow part of this? But it is the sort of greater cultural thing that the more I talk to people, it it's, comparable to religion and the way you have guilt when you leave a religion that stays with you like people that broke straight edge in their 20s that are still upset about it in their 40s or still have feelings about it in their 40s like this is deeper than just picking up a record at a store and listening to it for a couple years yeah and that's why we wanted to make one reason why we we wanted to make this record was to kind of you know celebrate our past and our history through dc music history and create a thread that, that we carry forward into now and at what we're doing now you know and that and and i think we we achieved that um with this record by the police the by having our community participate in it and collaborate with us on it so both of you guys have found ways to be lifers in this thing was there ever a point where you're like i just gotta get a straight job and and leave this world behind and be a, be a normal like was there ever yeah. a moment like that a brief moment when we we're well the only time that we felt like we could continue was is um when we were in wool because we had a little money from the label and stuff but you know everything else we always have jobs i have a job to this day and so does pete i mean music is what we do and we are going to continue to do it as long as we can um but we always had to have a job to buffer that existence I mean, yeah, I, I never I, felt like cutting out, uh, you know, there are maybe regrets later. Like I should have went 
college or finished school or whatever, but we've always had jobs and we were under no illusion that um, there was any other way around it. I mean, you have to pay bills and rent and all that stuff. So, yeah. And, and, and you know, and I've been doing a lot of tour management because I kind of just fell into that kind of line of work out of being the guy that, you know, booked the shows or, you know, collected the money at the end of the night. And, and so then people started asking me to do that for them. So, which, you know, ended up ultimately paying more than being a musician. So it's actually, which also kind of handicapped me of being pursuing uh, music more full time. Um, uh, and that's the, that's the, always the catch 22. And that's just the way everybody has to deal with that in life. Um, and you know what, like, like when, when Kent left the band the first time he wanted to raise a family and, um, it's, it, you, you have to make, you have to present it with those kind of ch- things in life where you have to decide what you're going to do. And so we've, I guess we've tried to get the best of both worlds by continuing to play music and, 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 you know, and then also having to like, try to make a living and survive, you know? I think, uh, yeah, I, I didn't mean to say like, you know, not having another job necessarily, but this is your career. Like music has always been your careers. And there's, there's like, it's almost like this type of person that's like a lifer. And then there's a type of person, which this is like a high school football thing that you look back yeah, upon. Yeah, yeah. It was a brief period in your life. Even Kent, like Kent kept doing bands. Like he did other bands in DC, right in the nineties and stuff. So it's not like, Oh, even turn I mean, back on Kent, it. Kent had a, Kent had a, you know, um, was playing in a trio called the old dominion trio just a, like a couple, a couple weeks before he passed away. Um, yeah, he was so so, yeah, I mean, he was, he would, he would, he would be, you know, playing every weekend with somebody. So yeah, you're right. He was a lifer that way. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's something that stays with us. I find that like fascinating that there's like, um, I don't know. And it mean, because I was not part of another culture, but I, I can imagine like there are other things that you would have been involved in that don't wind up people bringing up to you 40 years later, talking about records you played on as a teenager, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Oh, and, and by the way, congratulations on your upcoming tour with the damned. Oh my God. That's Tell me about good. that. <sighs> that is crazy. That is crazy to me. Cause like, you know, if, if it's like a Beatles and Rolling Stones thing, I've always been more of a who person. And in a clash sex pistol thing, I've always been more of a damned person. So well, that's, where, that's where we come from. You've probably heard that before. The damned they have have a, whole, have a special place in the DC punk lore and community that you know, um and uh they definitely a big influence on us. And we we actually I don't think I don't think that these flyers are on you know archived anywhere. But we opened up for the dam for two nights at the nine thirty club once. Whoa, which real highlight yeah. for us. I don't know. I don't. I guess you, if you might find it on a nine thirty club flyer or something. But yeah, that's awesome. And it's yeah, they're just like. Well, that's the thing about DC that I also find so awesome is and, because. And, and, I don't mean to, to cut no, you please, off, but I please. wanted to quickly say that we tried to get Captain Sensible to produce one of our records. Franz called him up and spoke with him on the phone, actually, back then. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, Ratscape, he's also produced a bunch of stuff back then, too, right? Like, didn't he do some key? I'm trying to remember what American, he did a big American record back then, but I love the cast. He did? Yeah, I love the Captain's production, though, on um, 
all those Dolly Mixtures records. Mm. That stuff's yeah. awesome. Awesome. It's, I think that's the thing about DC is because it's sort of like the first, in a lot of ways, the first real hardcore scene that, you know, starts where it's like the, the kind of model that we all follow. And because you're saying it's very insular looking, it was the first scene that really seemed to study punk and find these obscure records. I remember uh, Ian played me this recording of the first time HR ever sang for the Bad Brains and they cover the Vile Tones Screaming Fist, which is an obscure record in Toronto where it came out, let alone it showing up in DC or the way the Empire record just completely changed the sound of bands when people discovered the Empire record. I find it so interesting how studied everyone is. Yeah, well, I guess we could thank our, our you know, local record stores, um, the mom and pops like that that were in DC at the time, like, like yesterday and today and Joe's Record Paradise and Penguin Feather. There was all these really, I mean, important record stores where um, that featured new music and those radio shows I was telling you about, because that's yeah. one thing kind of unique about D.C. Maybe, uh, you know, there because of the universities there, American University and Georgetown University and Maryland University, um, they they had like cool radio shows that featured new music even if it was only for one hour, once a week, you know, but then we would, get in, you know, Go ahead. you'd also get the odd cassette from friends and stuff. But, Whoa, what the fuck is this on here? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how these reverberations of that, these radio stations, these record stores have like Jennifer from Royal trucks talking about being a DC hardcore kid, getting into discharge, you know, or, or, john spencer being out of dc when pussy galore first starts like there's a lot of stuff that's not necessarily under the umbrella that's coming out of this sort of influence yeah and dave Grohl worked at tower records in dc too so I'm sure there you go he was getting, getting up learning about that was before he was in our band or i don't know maybe he was working there when he was in our band i can't remember but did you guys ever play with dane bramage no but i saw them play when no, that's when I saw, yeah saw Dave play I really like that band I love that album so much yeah. um it, it, it like another example of just sort of like the the, the shit that was all happening in that area because like also you know it's DC but then it's also Maryland area and and Virginia too um you know like I noticed at one point you play a show with scam and United Mutations and media yeah. disease <laughs> Yeah. Just, somebody just re-released that scam record or re-released -re something with scam recently I, um, I was supposed to get a copy of it from Enoch he's got one um, but speaking of that uh, that time and that like venue that DC space is where I saw Dane Bramage and, yeah. and this would be a, a perfect example of Roots music uh, combining with punk would be like we, we backed up uh root boy slim at dc space one time and it was part of a benefit to raise money for the um i think it was to raise money to help alternative tentacles fight the court case against the dead kennedy's record cover and um we ended up doing we play and and that was really rad i don't know if you're familiar with root boy slim yeah that's I mean, amazing i had no idea about that show <laughs> yeah i got to be a backup singer in his band we, and we did we did boogie till you puke <laughs> <laughs> i guess that also speaks to why the big boys 
connected with DC so much because there is that sort of uh why because biscuit was as big as root boy <laughs> no not necessarily just of that but I mean stylistically <laughs> they're sort of like uh, reaching outside of the capital P punk world mm, yeah man the big boys are so cool they they first yeah. time we went through we played with them in Austin at, at Nightbreak, I think it was. No, that was in San Francisco. I think it was, or maybe it was a club named after that Bob Seger song, Night Moves. Um, it's something like that. But they were so cool. They, you know, and that's what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, the bands that would put on shows for you. Well, big boys were already kind of big. It, it felt like to me, but, um, you know, they they had us on, we played, opened up for them, and then they had us over their house, had a barbecue, and I think we might have, you know, some of us might have slept over that house that they all had, and, um, you know, it was really cool people. And a really deep connection, too, with, well, obviously, there's a, a famous division with some DC, with one DC band, but with everything else, like, there feels like a really strong uh, big boy specifically texas connection and there's that famous trouble funk minor threat big boy show that uh, you know you see the flyer for all the time like there is this sort of i don't know it's, yeah, well, I, it, came, it came it came it came out of that sharing community of you come stay here and then when we're that when we're in your town we'll stay there you know and we'll put you up and we'll feed you and you got a place to stay and you're all good you know so and that's the amazing thing that you kind of retained from it too. Like you can still reach out to these people all these years later. Like I guarantee you, if you need a place to crash in the Orlando area, Robbie will put you up to this day. Well, you know, the other thing is that what people don't talk about, one of the reasons why there was that connection that you didn't necessarily find in, in, in Los Angeles, because most of these kids involved in the scenes lived at home with their parents and the scenes in like in DC or Texas, a lot of those people were already living out of their house and houses with other people. Um, yeah. And that's something that I found when we went out to LA. Um, there wasn't a lot of people living on their own, it seemed like. Um, just a little side note as far as the scene. Los Angeles is interesting because it seems like even from what you guys are saying, like all the different people you're interacting, there's a lot of musical mobility in Los Angeles that might not exist in New York. Like you don't really hear about the, the reaching over the lines in sort of the same way. Like everyone seems to be more in their own little scenes in New York mm. at, at this point, especially. We did a similar thing in, in LA when we arrived there is like we'd always done in at, at home was have a band house. And, um, and then that was kind of became ground zero for all our activities, you know, and it might also become a hangout and then, you know, started to make our own little scene, you know? And, um, so, uh, I don't know. That's just kind of how it happened for us, um, there. But when I first, when we first ended in Los Angeles, before we got wool going, it, 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 it didn't feel very very um, friendly place to me. And I, I was ha having a hard time figuring out where, you know, if I even wanted to stay, stay there. Felt like I kind of want, we, I think we felt more in, in line with the Bay Area than we did in LA, but we started working and started making stuff happen for ourselves. And especially once I met um, some, a few people that brought me out to the desert where I'm at right now. Um, and then uh, started a, a, you know, 
playing music at the Rancho, um, then that really kind of I fell in love with Los Angeles and, and and California. How far is that sort of desert scene from like Los Angeles proper, like by car, like an two hour? hours ten minutes? Wow, and it's like a completely different world, though, right? Well, it was in the in the nineties when I first started coming out here, but you know, people make people used to make fun of me about trying to get people to come out to this studio. And back then, nobody really came out here. But now, this this area is just like um, I don't know, you know, think that Coachella had a huge impact on this area, bringing like eighty thousand people from around the world every every year. And then, you know, also just L.A. getting too expensive. People started moving out here. So it's it's changed a lot. But when I first started coming out here, it, 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 you know, people didn't so much venture out here so much. Was it through the band house that you meet Greg Anderson? Is it or did you know him before that? No, I met, I met we met Franz and I met Greg up in Seattle when with Wool and we played with his band Engine Kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing to see how like that scene, like Sun, Queens of the Stone Age, you know, like mm-hmm. there's like a, a lot of important heavy music comes out of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think I kind of like, you know, I was telling Greg about L.A. and I think, um, you know, so us talking, he got interested in moving down there. Um, and, um, you know, Go- Goat Snake came much later, but... Uh, yeah, through you you brought up Man's Ruin earlier and but yeah, when through that through Wool and I was playing in in you know the the, the community out of Rancho, that's how we kind of met um Josh and the Caius guys and started playing playing shows together. It it seems like that would have been light years away from that DC scene that you guys originally come out of in terms of like you know 35 like I, I, I personally don't feel that, but I feel like that's part of the the thread that I'm talking about because, like, you know, Ghost Snake basically came out of the Obsessed, and Scream used to play with the Obsessed back in D.C., so they were one of the first bands we kind of aligned with because they were a little bit different. We used to play shows together, and this was it was a different a different um, lineup, but there's you know, Wino was the center point for that but you know frankly the one of the first singers for uh he obsessed was vance bacchus rest in peace who went to school with franz and enoch and from bailey's crossroads so it, i mean it, it we're we're all really tied together it, did that because i don't think you guys ever identified as a straight edge band but was that something that followed you around in the early years because it's a, crazy oh. how fast that catches oh up. yeah yeah Hell yeah you're, you're asked that everywhere you go and in yeah. every interview you do yeah, it's, it wasn't. It wasn't until it wasn't until uh, Dave Grohl got famous that people stopped asking us about straight edge. <laughs> I'm bringing up all the cliched questions on this thing. Uh, <laughs> the uh, this thing with the straight edge thing I find is that it's almost transcendent punk at this point, like because of that wrestler CM Punk and Avril Lavigne and all these celebrity people talking about straight edge and claiming straight edge that don't necessarily have. They do, but not necessarily the people taking it in have any connection to where it comes from, but it has become, oh, it's just, it's ubiquitous at this point. Right. Well, I mean, we, we were part of that scene and we were always, uh, you know, we were, we are just kind of 
for us, it was a little bit different. It was more about PMA and positive mental attitude and, and, you know, and doing, being a part of your community and activism and this side up, you know? Mm-hmm. And very much like that, once again, that you guys are halfway between that sort of bad brains, philosophical approach and the, the sort of uh, DC hardcore philosophical approach. Mm-hmm. And that's why this band is one of my favorite bands to talk about. I really do. <laughs> like I, I'm fascinated by your band and the study of your band is something that I've been interested in since I first got into this music and which is after the fact, obviously, but it's just, uh, it's just mind blowing the way you guys connect all these worlds and, and just sort of like move throughout the history of this music after a certain point as these sort of agents of, of amazing music, but also agents of change. Thank you, man. We appreciate yeah, that. that. That means a lot. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate you having us on your show to, so we could, you know, talk about our music and our bands. And, and also, you know, we, we want people to check out our new record. And, and um, you know, so thank you for that. I think it's awesome that, you know, yourselves, Soulside, uh, Hammered Hulls, and I know I'm leaving someone else right now. Fuck. Well, what's the, yeah, and what's the post, the new Minor Threat thing that they did that... Uh, Mesthetics, mesthetics. Yeah. Oh yeah. Would chill out. Yeah. I feel like there's like a. They're, get, they're getting ready. To, they have a new record that they're working on. Uh, that's been done, but they ran into some bullshit kind of business stuff to in order to get it. You know, they've been collaborating with a, a saxophonist, and I think they had some trouble working through the business red tape of being able to release the record. I, I hope they got that worked out. But yeah, they have a new record coming out. It's awesome that all you guys are still in it. You know, like there's a sort of uh, return to DC, like all you guys spread out and did your own things, but there's sort of this homecoming thing that's happening right now. And everyone's putting out fucking yeah. amazing records. It's not like bullshit nostalgia. No, in fact, Amanda uh, texted me this morning. Cause when I was um, there, when did I see her? Oh, I guess after we did that. Um, the benefit. The show in the park. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, we we we're talking about maybe trying to go down to play together at South by Southwest. So maybe we can make that happen. Is you know, it's it's hard. It's that's it's hard with everybody with their jobs and families and all that. To you know, at, at our level of you know, we, it's hard to 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 pay the bills and to to go on a little tour like that. But that's what we'll try to do. That'd be amazing. Or, or like a little Madam's Organ, reopen Madam's Organ and do a show all together there. <laughs> I was just standing. I was just standing outside of Madam's Organ not too long ago. It's crazy because, yeah, I mean, um, we're just so fucking lucky that we're still a band and and putting and able to put out new music and play shows. And um, I, I we, me and Enoch were walking up um, 18th Street, and um, we we. I was trying to figure out which building was Madam's Oregon. And I, there's two kind of like row houses. They're both businesses now. But, and then we walked up the street a little bit more to get something to eat. We, me, me and Enoch just did this show for the mayor's art awards, which I don't, I don't know how that came about, but after we played, we played two weeks ago at the MLK library, which was a great honor. And, 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 and as part of the punk archive, go-go archive that they got there at that library, which I highly recommend anyone that goes, visits Washington, go to the Martin Luther King library. It's, it's an amazing, amazing space. Um, 
it, it not just a, you know the archives there for music but a, um just the local history and um they do a lot of cool stuff for the community including putting on these shows and we just we just played with with trouble funk for the first time even though we had done other punk go-go shows before finally got to play with them which was a real honor and then we also there was some new bands that that we hadn't that we weren't familiar and that whoever curated that show did an amazing job playing with this band called uh black alley which is a really cool band a go-go band doing kind of a new thing a band called breezy supreme it was kind of really cool see almost like emo punk band but uh you know, mixed ethnicity band, and and then Bachnai, which was a cool punk band, some girls in it. So that was killer. The DC scene is happening; it's alive right now. Oh yeah, like arguably the biggest hardcore band in the world right now, a current it's band, turn, Turnstile. Yeah, yeah, Turnstile. Right. yeah, it. You know, and there's all that kind of all the bands that are from that sort of greater universe, um, which does connect back to like uh, you know, Trapped Under Ice. I forget the guitar player's father was in um, blanking on which DC band now, but it was in like an old discord band. So there's like this sort of like continuation, but like, it's still DC that's putting the stuff on the map. Yeah. Driving it forward. It's wild. It's very, it's interesting. Cause it's like, keep it here. well, there's such an industry to keep it going too. Right. Like there's like this DC hardcore industry, but then at the same time, it's like, you can't deny the music. The music's what ultimately keeps connecting with people. Mm-hmm what yeah. before i let you guys go i just i've always wondered what your thoughts were when that revolution summer moment happens you guys are kind of on the road i think by that point and, and kind of in other places but did you like was it getting too hairy in dc in your eyes was it definitely at the point where something had to change or you know just what were your takeaways from that time? what do you mean what, what do you mean by hairy i mean yeah i, I that was that dc was going through a very difficult time at that uh around then with with the uh, inner city crime and, and, and we were, you know, um, but I, I, I think that the, those bands that came out of that summer, um, you know, that's kind of the, a new, uh, you know, a new explosion of, of DC music that happened. It's the way it, it, you know, the way it's supposed to be, you know, these kids are making, coming up and making their own thing happen. The, the way that it's like, I mean, just sort of in the sense that like Harry, because the way it's always talked about, I think once again, it's in Dance of Days. I can't remember the the specific skinhead woman's name, but there's a woman who apparently had this skinhead gang that was fucking up kids at the shows. And it and it's uh, a notorious time for just sort of violence at the shows, like the, the stuff had gone too far. And there was a lot of people that just, you know, once again, like same thing that happened with the limp scene, I guess, same thing that happened with mm -hmm. the L.A. punk scene, just kind of were like, well. This well, the, I mean, the skinhead scene in DC was very, very small. I mean, you can literally almost count them on your hand. Um, I'd have that to. That doesn't mean they can't cause problems at shows. So, no, of course. Um, yeah, I think that's part of of being. You know, that's just that's part of uh, being part of a, a, a art and music community is is looking out for each other. So, I think it. You know a reaction to that would be to, to speak about it and to sing about it and to maybe, you know, try to like, you know, take care of each other that way. So maybe that's what that, maybe that's what that was. 
Well, anytime you guys want to come back on the show separately or together and talk about L.A., D.C., Robbie Brookside, anything, you know, the door's oh, always man, open. Yeah, you got you to gotta hook me up with Robbie. And, um, you know, I, uh, we used to – one of my favorite shows, speak, thinking about wrestling, uh, was when we played at the Madison Square Garden in phoenix arizona (laughs) i'm sure you know about that venue right i know it from the cover of this is phoenix not la compilation okay yeah Yeah. um yeah i think there's a single too that jfa had uh called mad garden because it was also kind of referred to as that but that place was fucking rad and i don't know who we played with there, unfortunately, but we played there and I'll, I'll never forget, like, you know, it was just so cool setting up the gear on inside the ring, you know, and there, it was like a, the place was still, it had a, a wrestling ring in the center of the venue and bleachers against the wall and these giant pictures all around the venue of, of, you know, Haystack Calhoun and all these like fucking famous wrestlers from back in the day. And um, it also had a fence. A fence, yeah. A fence around the fucking ring that went. And so. It's called a steel cage. Yeah, well, I guess. (laughs) But I don't think it was. It wasn't because it wasn't for like what you have now with the cage fighting and and, and MMA and stuff like that. It was mostly, I think, to keep the crowd from throwing shit at the wrestlers, probably. I don't know. (laughs) Or or maybe. Maybe to keep them from, maybe uh, I actually I think maybe the fence was there because somebody threw someone out of the ring and it maybe hurt somebody, and 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 uh, but when we started that set, like there was like kids all around the the thing, and I remember we came out there and I I picked up the mic stand and just threw it as hard as I can right at the fucking crowd, you know, and everyone's like fucking jump back, but yeah, but. It was so fucking fun, man. And everyone was like fucking climbing up on the fucking uh, chain link fence and, and, you know, stage diving from the fence. Oh, yeah. What an amazing scene, too. Phoenix had Sun City <laughs> uh, Girls, JFA, Mighty Sphincter, Feeders. Like, oh, yeah. such a cool place. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. You know- and, and, there, and also at that time, there was also a cool scene in, in Tucson, like bands like MIA and, um, yeah, there was there was a good club there called the Backstage. I think we used to play. It's interesting with wrestling how there is such a a strong current throughout punk too, and I think it's because wrestling subverts sports in the same way punk subverts rock and roll, and just sort of turns it on its heads and plays with the conventions. And it's just I don't know, but you do see like be it Bob Mould or the guys in the stretch marks doing that punk fanzine back in the day to Robbie Brookside to, to like Breezy Supreme. And I have a mutual friend uh, in MVP who's a pro wrestler that saved the misfits from being murdered by the macho man, Randy Savage back in the day. So there's a real strong connection between these two worlds. That's crazy. Well, we didn't have that in DC. Let's not forget. Let's not forget captain Lou Albano who fucking managed NRBQ. Which was a huge band in the D.C. area when I was growing up. Absolutely. see them all the time. And, and Greg Sage played on Beauregard's LP, a pro wrestler's LP, when he was 15 years old before the Wipers. So 
We do have a common shared history. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing your history with me. We actually come from a wrestling family. My sister was a mud wrestler here in Los Angeles at the (laughs) Tropicana. (laughs) Whoa! That's awesome! Well, that's part two. We we already got the the jumping off point for episode two. Yeah. Franz and Pete, thanks for coming on the show. When you're right there, they will be back for a part two, together or separate, at some point in the near future, because there is a lot more to get to. Um, I could have talked to them for all, all all day, all day, but there is a lot of podcasts to get to. Speaking of getting to a podcast, how do you follow up having one of the greatest sibling? punk rock duos ever by having one of the greatest sibling trios in hardcore the russin brothers are coming on the show next that's right from cold world we got alex from glitter glitterer and title fight we got ned and from citizen and title fight we got ben and we got all three coming up on the next episode and it is a an epic episode Took a year to record, like a year to the day it took to record this thing. And it spans continents and journey. you'll hear it all on the next episode. But that is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and cut out hate and violence towards people of different faiths, different races, because we're not talking about politics here. We're talking about human rights. People deserve to live free from hate and violence and war. So if there's organizations around you that are affecting positive change, get involved, donate your time, donate your money, and maybe you'll feel better. Speaking of feeling better, if you want to feel better, try meditating. I know a lot of people say that this stuff, uh, has worked for them and add me that choir because it works for me and maybe it'll work for you. And so there's lots of ways to try it and stick with it because like, if you're like me, it took a while for it to click, but when it does click, it will help. Speaking of helping sign those organ donor cards, because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore and it can perform miracles. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen with my own eyes, organ donor transplant stuff. Um, just, bringing new life to people. So sign those cards and uh, contribute to your punk scene. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a pod. Yeah. I mean, not a podcast, start, start, start something. Anyone can do this stuff and you'll feel better and it gets better when you contribute to it. Well, that's it for me. Thank you everyone for listening and I'll see you on the next, or I won't, I'll speak to you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>